Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we're going to be continuing in the book of Mark chapter 10. If you want to pull out your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be talking about the power of determination. The power of determination. You see, there is a direct correlation between one's determination and one's faith. Uh, One empowers the other. Uh, Usually for folks that are not determined, that don't have a drive, don't have, I guess you would say, a a spiritual work ethic, uh, sometimes they just believe that their spiritual life is just going to happen. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't just happen. The spiritual life takes work. It takes, it's a journey that we all must walk on. And and as we look at our passage today, we're going to see three examples of Jesus's determination that it's able to do three things. Jesus's determination is powerful enough to heal you. It's It's powerful enough to empower you to serve others. And it's powerful enough for you to inherit your eternal home. And so if you want a a, a key verse from the passages that we're going to be doing today, I guess the the key verse would be Mark 10.45 that says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's just jump right in. We're going to see first that Jesus was determined to do God's will. Jesus was determined to do God's will. And we're going to be, again, in chapter 10, reading verses 32 through 34. This is the third time, not first, not second, but third. Third time that he has predicted his death to his disciples. You would think after the third time, or even the second time, that they would get it, but yet still a third time that he predicts his death. And he says, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was talking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him, but after three days he will rise again. I find it amazing that he gave with such accuracy exactly what was going to happen. Now, we've just read that, and you've probably read that passage before or heard it preached, but let's take a moment and put ourselves on that road to Jerusalem. As they look up to Jerusalem, one of the highest points of that area, Looked up to Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen. And he's walking, they're walking behind him. And he's saying, look, up there, these things are going to happen. Now, he was walking ahead of them. And then his disciples and followers were walking behind him, which was very common in that day. Usually the rabbi or the teacher would walk in front and his disciples would kind of be the wingmen, so to speak. They would, they would be following him, not only in a literal sense, 
but also following his teaching and whatnot. So they were literally following Jesus. Now, when I say that Jesus was determined and he is predicting this third prediction of his death, there's something you've got to realize. Everything in the disciples' DNA was telling them to turn around. Everything was saying, I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe we're doing this. And Jesus, laser focused, walking to Jerusalem where he knew that he would have to suffer, that he would have to die and ultimately resurrect for his Father's will and for our glory. But he, he knew that it was going to be painful, but he just kept walking. Folks, he and the disciples were marked men. There were bounties on their head. They were walking into a trap. They knew that when they got in, they would either be punished or imprisoned or even worse, killed. But yet, instead of running away from that, he ran to it with every determined step. I think that is amazing. And we see here in this third prediction, you realize that Jerusalem was the first time of the three predictions that Jerusalem is mentioned. That is the first time Jesus actually gave them the place where they were going. And then also, just think of his determination, his bravery as a wanted man walking a path that his father had predetermined for him. You see, every step that Jesus took towards Jerusalem was one step closer to the cross he would bear. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I have things that are in my life, like if, if there is a meeting a week or two from now, something as simple as going to the doctor and you're having to hear, you know, how much weight you've got or little or you've got this and everybody's dread. How many of y'all dread doctor's appointments? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Some of y'all don't even go to doctor's appointments. Can't tell you how many people, how many times somebody said, well, you know, he never went to a doctor a day in his life. He just died. And I wanted to say, well, I guess so, because he never went to a doctor. Good gracious. But yeah, we, we don't like going to doctors. We don't like appointments. We don't like things that where it'd be, you know, tax season is here or, or all of these other things. It's just, we, and some of you, I don't know if you're, but I am, I'm a warrior. And so if I got something coming up, I'm dreading it. I'm like, no, 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 no. How many more days? Oh, no. You know, all of these different things, we just dread that it's coming. But Jesus, oh, no, not Jesus. He was determined with every single step. And he was trying to get the disciples ready for what they were about to have to endure. And it says here in the passage, if you go back and look at this, is that the disciples were filled with two things. With two things. With awe and fear. Because as Jesus' time was drawing near, as his disciples, they knew their time was drawing near as well. So what were they in awe of? They were in awe of the fact that Jesus' determination in the face of what he was enduring and about to endure, that he still had purpose in every step. How did he, how was he able to do that? Because he had the heavenly power to do that. And don't, don't try to sanitize this or, or take some oomph out of this by saying, oh, well, he was Jesus. He was 100% God, but he was a 100% human. 
I don't know about y'all, if you ever tried to exercise, the minute you get up on that piece of equipment, your body's telling you to get off. You know, what are you doing to me? Get off of this thing. You think, oh, I think I'm having a heart attack. I might need to just get off of this thing. But no, it's, it's, a lot of times it's your body playing tricks on you, telling you you don't want to do it. So I fully believe that although Jesus was walking with intent towards Jerusalem for his faith, I fully intend everything in his human body was telling him to turn around. And you know what that's like because it happens in your life. When you know that you want to do something, when God is calling you to do something, or you've got something ahead and you don't want to give in to that, you don't want to give yourself over to what the Lord wants you to do, and your, your, your mind is saying, boy, I'd like to do that. Your heart is saying, I should do that. And your body's saying, no, 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 no. We are not doing that. They were in awe of that. And also, were they not only in awe of his determination, but they were fearful. What in the world would they be fearful about? They were fearful of the upcoming events. And you know, we, we tend to, to throw the disciples under the bus, so to speak, because they never really understood Jesus' plan until after he resurrected, after he was crucified and resurrected. They always thought that it was going to be some, they were going to be some worldly leaders. And we'll see that in just a minute. But the thing is, is that you can give them all the grief you want. They were in awe. They were fearful. But you know what they did? What did they do, folks? They followed him. They said, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. But I love you, Jesus, and where you go, I go. There's a saying in a lot of first responder outfits. You go, we go. Meaning that at the end of the day, whether we like the person or not, at any moment, we may have to give our life for theirs. And that's what the disciples were saying. I don't like it. Everything in their body is saying don't do it. But they go anyway. So let's cut the disciples some slack, all right? And you know what? Cut yourself some slack too. You're not perfect. There are days you're going to be scared. And then there will be days where you're ready to take on hell with a water pistol. And there's the, the Christian life is between those two extremes. And so we know that following Jesus is scary. And for the disciples, it was scary to think, again, the disciples were Jewish. They were being handed over to the Romans, which were Gentiles. Again, we see a tinge of racism here. They did not, they thought, even the disciples saw, thought as Jews, they were superior, and now these Gentile Romans would be responsible for their fate. They were fearful. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we see and are now hearing some of the atrocities that are happening over in Ukraine. The way some of the people are being trusted, the way there's mass graves and that there are, are people just being targeted just for walking in the streets. Putting mortars over dead bodies, I mean mines over dead bodies. It's awful. And we've, we've seen that in other warfare in other countries. It is awful what is going on. They, these things though pale in comparison to the punishment the Romans did. You remember the Romans that, that would take Christians and put them in the middle of a coliseum and consider it sport to see a hungry lion maul them? Or Herod that thought it would be great to take Christians, tar and feather them till they are died and use them as candles at his, or his, torches at his parties? 
that what we see now is nothing compared. Can you imagine what they were fearing? And not to mention the cross, the cross, the most heinous form of punishment that has ever been created. There is no mercy in that of a lethal injection. There is no quickness of an elected chair. It was long and drawn out. And, and the people that are on the cross, they were not killed by being nailed to the cross or bleeding out. They suffocated. That's how they died. A long, slow suffocation. And if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, or if you've ever, ever had trouble breathing, you know how scary and fearful that is. They were in fear of their lives, but they went forward. In those moments, they focused more on the power of Jesus that gave them the assurance to continue and follow Him. Many of us will hear the song and sing the song, Wherever He leads, I'll go. You know that one? Wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll follow Christ who loves me so. Forever He leads, I'll go. Boy, that sounds like my singing was not great on that, but that's a great song. And we, you know, we could, we could put some, Alex, we could put some music to that. We could change it up a little bit, give the girls some pretty lines to, to sing on that and expand it out and do a little thing there. And oh, it'd be beautiful. Oh, we'd raise our hands. It'd be great. But what about the words? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Really? That's a challenge to me. I don't, I can't say that I will always go where he leads. I do my best, but there are days I'm like a mule. You can't get to move anywhere. And so God does what he needs to do to move me. But the reason they were able to move is because instead of focusing about what they feared, they focused about the man that they were following right in front of him. So when you start to get worried about your situation, you start getting worried about what's ahead of you. My friend, quit looking at what's ahead of you and look at the determination and the love of the man you claim to follow. Get in line and walk because his power is your power. We see here that Jesus took the 12 disciples aside. He talked about the power of determination. And the thing is, following Jesus requires a follower who is determined to go where he leads, love who he loves, to serve as he serves, and to sacrifice as he sacrificed. That is what we get from these first few verses. There, there could be a sermon just if you write that down and we work on that, we'd be better for it. But the second example of determination is power is found in serving over receiving. Serving over receiving. I'm not going to lie. When Christmas gets here or a birthday gets here, I enjoy receiving gifts. Y'all enjoy receiving gifts? Oh, absolutely. We like receiving gifts. Some of you already have put out your Christmas list and floated your Amazon list of those that are getting presents for you. Just make sure you know what you want for Christmas. But we've talked about this before. It seems the older we get, we get a whole lot more joy out of giving. Some of you grandparents and great-grandparents, you love spoiling those little bitty kids. That way your kids say, well, you never did that for us. And you're like, yep. You just don't want to do whatever you can to serve others. Well, we see here in verses 35 through 45, this is Jesus. He's talking about serving others. 
It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Now, this is textbook, somebody trying to get ahead. What is your request, he asked. Now, we know he's Jesus, so he already knows what he's going, they're going to ask him. He says, what is your request? They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on the right and the other on the left. <laughs> what they're saying is, is, Jesus, when you become president of the free world, I want to be your chief of staff and he wants to be your press secretary. We, we want to go ahead and put our name in the pot now. Now the other ten disciples are looking at this and they're hearing this. And they're like, I can't believe that they did that. They are fighting. And the fact that they have broke from the other ten, and as Jesus has already predicted his death for a third time, and now they're walking toward Jerusalem, what is still on the disciples' mind? Who is going to sit to the left and the right of them? What does that show you? That shows you that they were still more concerned about how they were going to be served than how they would serve others. But Jesus said to them, (laughs) you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Underline the word cup because that's going to be significant. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering? (laughs) Baptism of suffering. Now, we have a a wonderful baptistry back there. and That is not a baptism of suffering. I mean, the worst part about it is we're baptizing in Homeland Park water. But the good thing is Jesus is blessing that too. And so we see here is that he continues to talk to them. And he says, oh, yes, they replied, we're able. That Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for those he has chosen So when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Indignant is a fancy word to say they were fuming. They were mad. So Jesus called all the twelve together and said to them, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over people, and officials flaunt their authority over, over those under them. But among you it will be different. And here he goes. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the disciples heard Jesus. But they weren't listening to Jesus. You know the difference, don't you? If you have children or if you've ever been married, you know the difference between hearing and listening. For example, do I need to give examples? You tell a child to stop doing something. They're hearing you, but they keep doing it. It means they're not listening. Your spouse is telling you something that's important to them, but yet you're watching the TV show. And they have finished all that and they've asked you a question. And then there's a clutch moment. Well, you have to answer that question, but you don't know what the question was. Were you hearing them or were you listening to them? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I've only endured those kind of things, but but it sounds like life. So I would tell you, listen to Jesus. Don't just 
hear Him. Listen to Jesus. Don't just hear Him. My friends, I love you and let me tell you, you are bombarded every day with messages, with social media feeds, with, with work problems, with emails that, that, that fill your inbox, with, with junk mail in your email, in your regular mail, and, and just television shows and just messages everywhere seeking to get your attention. And it's important that when all of these voices are coming to you, that you listen to the right ones. You see, are you hearing Jesus or are you just listening to him? And let me just take a side note here and just say that make sure if you are married, couples, or you're dating, or or any of that, I want to tell you, and hear me now, make sure you are listening to your spouse and your children. Not hearing them, but truly listening to them. Because communication is the key to any relationship. It's not what you would think it is for a married couple. It's not what you would think for families. Ultimately, it is communication between family members. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't want to listen to your spouse, and if you don't want to listen to your children, there is somebody that will always listen to them that means them ill will. There is always somebody ready to listen to those you love if you don't have time to do it. So hear me now. Listen to Jesus, listen to your spouse, and listen to your family. Communicate. Don't just hear them. Where it says that you're not going to be, Jesus says you're not going to be able to eat or, or drink from the cup of wrath that, that I'm going to drink from. Uh, there's a, a verse I want to show you in Matthew 26, 39. This is when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying. He went on a little farther and bowed his face on the ground praying, My Father. Now he is sweating drops of blood at this point. He's, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, cup of suffering, not cup of noodles, cup of suffering, Be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. So when Jesus is telling the disciples, you're not going to be able to drink from the cup I drink of, what he just told them as they are fighting for the number one and number two position beside him, he's saying, look, you are going to drink the same suffering that I am going to drink. The same, just as, as you, as I am being persecuted, you are being persecuted. Just as I am going to be martyred, you are going to be martyred. They still didn't get it. (laughs) Oh, okay. So what's the answer? They did not understand that. Well, we know because of history that, that James and John, they both ended up suffering. As it would turn out, James was the first apostle to be martyred. Now, this is James, brother of John, not the half-brother of Jesus. James was the first apostle to be martyred by King Herod Agrippa. He was killed. And then uh, many people believe he was killed by a sword. And then John, though he was never martyred, uh, he died of old age, but but he didn't have his... uh, (laughs) He didn't have his uh, pleasant experiences either. He ultimately 
was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. But he also, there was one thing that happened to him. He was immersed in a vat of boiling oil. Boy, that's pleasurable. Anybody want that cup of suffering? You see, you, you realize that people that love evil and people that love themselves, when a Christian comes into the, into the, the atmosphere and comes to the environment, and they start, their obedience to Christ makes everybody else's disobedience stick out like a sore thumb. So what do they do? They seek to neutralize that Christian so they don't have to own up to what their issue is. Jesus makes his mission and desire for the disciples crystal clear here. It is better to serve others than to be served. It is better to serve others than to be served. And then we see that Jesus gave his life as a ransom. He says that in the text here. Jesus was not exempt from serving. As a matter of fact, as you look at when Jesus washes the disciples' feet in a foot washing ceremony. One of the most intimate things you could do back in those days, and still to this day. I don't know if you've ever been part of a foot washing service. Some of you got the heebie-jeebies when you even talk about feet and washing. I understand that. But think about this. Jesus, their, their master teacher, their master rabbi, the, the son of God, put a towel around his waist and went to every disciple, including Judas, and washed their feet. He was a ransom. He paid the ransom for us. That is a sin debt. If he did not pay that for us, we would all be bound for hell because there would be no turning back from that. But Jesus was determined to serve the disciples even though they were only interested in serving themselves. Look, there is a movement in Christianity today to make every, every bar of music and every scripture read and every sermon preached to be how we can be a better human, how we can you know, uh, make excuses for whatever sin we're in, and how we can all just be happy and joyful and never admit that we are sinners and never admit that we need Jesus to convict us of our sins and never admit that we need to repent. Unfortunately, that message is not being preached loudly in these days. But we need it. We need to be broken over our sin. We need to take it seriously so that we can change it and be better. So that Jesus can work in our lives. But so be determined to serve others instead of yourselves. And then finally, we see the third instance where it says determination is crucial to your spiritual growth. Determination is crucial to your spiritual growth. Verses 46 through 52. Jesus heals a blind beggar. Then when they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of them yelled at that beggar. Pipe down. 
We don't want to hear from you. And the, the bad thing is, some of the disciples were doing that too. Be quiet. Many of them yelled at him. But when they did, he said, he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. But here is a man that is blind. His hearing has been heightened because it's, it's kind of compensating for his loss of sight. So he has heard the stories about Jesus and the things that he has done. And he is at his regular post at the city gates where most of the beggars were asking for help. And he knew that this was Jesus and he knew that this was his shot. So he cried out. Everybody told him to be quiet and he cried out even louder. And he cried out and he cried out. And then what was the result? Jesus stopped. Woo! I'm sorry, but when you cry out to Jesus and He sees your persistence and He just sees your determination to cry out to Him, He will stop for you. Amen. Can you get excited about that? He doesn't walk by. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And no matter what you're going through, if you cry out to Him, Jesus, the Son of our Creator God, will stop for you and invite you to come to Him. Woo! Sorry. I like that passage. Because I've been Bartimaeus. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. I can see it now. Bartimaeus, you're the next contestant to see Jesus. Come on down. Woo! Just like Price is right, everything's great. I'll tell you, it's amazing how my brain can go from one extreme to the other. But it's true. Hey, hey man, come on down. What do you bid on this item right here? A dollar. I've watched too much Fresh's Right over my years. But all joking aside, of all the people that were there, and think about Jesus was heading to his death, but he still took time to call out to Bartimaeus and say, Hey, you, come here. I don't care what everybody else is saying to you. I don't care that everybody else is telling you to be quiet. I don't care that everybody else is saying that you're a nuisance. You're important to me, so come here. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up. And he came to Jesus. Now, why in the world does Jesus ask this? What do you want me to do for you? And I say, duh. What, what do you want me to do for you? Why did Jesus ask that? Did Jesus not know the man's problem? That he was blind? He knew that Bartimaeus was blind. But he wanted to hear him ask. He wanted to hear Bartimaeus, the same man that was crying out. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Some of you will say, well, Jesus knows my needs, so I don't need to ask him. Try it and see how that works. 
If you have a need, you go to him, even though it may be obvious. Hey, Jesus, here I am. My need is obvious. Have you been asking him to come and meet your need because the, the need is obvious? Or have you humbled yourself like Bartimaeus and cried out to Jesus and said, please heal me? I know you know what it is, but I'm asking you. I'm begging you. I am determined to stick with this request that you would please heal me from whatever this is. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, meaning my master, my teacher, my Lord, my rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see And Jesus told him, go, for your faith has healed you. His determination and his faith. Jesus healed him because of his faith. My friends, don't let your faith falter. Don't believe the the lie the devil tells you is that you're not strong enough or that Jesus is too busy to care. He loves you and he will stop for you when you cry out to him. And then last but not least, we just see here. It didn't say that instantly the man went back to his family, got a job, and started living the American dream of having a house with a picket fence and a sporty camel in the yard. What does it say that he did? It's right there for your own scripture. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Not only did Jesus heal him, Jesus was on the way to crucifixion and this blind man who had nothing believed in Jesus. He gave up whatever his life path was and then he followed Jesus. My friend, when Jesus heals you, it is for the purpose of you to follow him, not just to feel better about yourself. Do you follow Jesus for what you get out of it? Or do you follow Jesus because He is Jesus? In wrapping this up, I would say Jesus' determination is powerful enough to heal you. It is powerful enough to empower you to serve others. And also to inherit your eternal home. We have seen in these texts the direct correlation between determination and faith. One empowers the other. Be determined to follow him this day and go wherever he leads you. Be determined to serve others just as Jesus did. Wouldn't this place be a better place if everybody sought to serve one another rather than to get something from one another? Can you imagine how your workplace would be different? Can you imagine how your family would be different if you quit looking at those in your family to meet your needs and it was more important for you to meet their needs? It would revolutionize your life. Be determined to cry out to Jesus for help even when others tell you to be quiet. Because there is power that is found in determination. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your scripture today. And God, I have been Bartimaeus. 
Lord, and it has been your determination that has become mine that, Lord, is the only reason why I'm standing in front of these nice people here today. And I thank you for that. And, Lord, if there's one person here that came in here beat down or, or ready to give up, may they see your determination and get behind you and walk. If they need help, if they need healing, may their faith cry out to you today, whether it be for salvation whether it be through rededication or joining this church, whatever it may be, this is the time you are walking by and you are stopping for those who will call out to you. If there is one person here today that would like to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, if they'd like to rededicate their life, join this church and just come to the altar and pray. This invitation is your time to respond. Jesus is walking by. Do not let this opportunity pass. For it's in your name. Amen. Would you please stand?